0: Hi friends, welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thanks so much for listening. My guest for this episode is Mike Satterfield. Mike is a husband and a father of two, and he spends much of his time traveling and speaking, but he's also the teaching pastor at Fielder Church in Arlington, Texas. Mike has a heart for seeing lives transformed, and he is always pointing people to Jesus. Mike was also instrumental in my husband's spiritual growth as a disciple in Jesus. And without his influence, I'm not sure I would have ever met my husband. So thanks for that, Mike. Without further delay, here is my interview with Mike Satterfield. Mm Mike Satterfield, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It is my honor, my precious sister, Stephanie. <laughs> yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Glory to God.
0: Amen. Amen. Mike, you are um somebody who's very near and dear to our family. Honestly, I don't think I would have met my husband if it wasn't for you. And that's yeah. kind of that's kind of a crazy thought that we would not know each other um my husband and I would not know each other if it were not for the influence of your ministry.
1: We go way back yep. before that was spooky them. <laughs> so
2: it's
1: good to see you and Phil doing so well oh, and have been a match God made in heaven.
2: Oh, well,
0: thank you. Mike, you are joining us from a hotel room in Corsicana, Texas. Yes. That's this is home away from home is a hotel room, right?
1: That is true. That are yeah. an airport. Yeah. And uh, this is Northside Baptist Corsicana is hosting a fall in retreat there okay. slash Disciple Now weekend for youth ministry. But there have been more adults sneaking into the building than uh, has been students. <laughs> and so it's been intriguing and interesting to see the word get out, folks storm the gate and push past COVID restrictions mm-hmm. to be a part of hearing the gospel, good news from God.
0: Amen. Well, that's awesome. I love the more that um, church situations aren't isolated by age, the more that we get folks together. And I know that youth ministry is an important area, but that's cool to see that the adults aren't like, oh, look, those are the teenagers hanging out. We don't want to be a part of that. We want to get in on that action. That's that's awesome that they, they want to be a part of that.
1: It so. just tickled my fancy because the huh. students have not been as excited to see their parents sneak into the building. <laughs> <laughs> the oh. have been.
0: <laughs> I I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. We kind of got a little got a little bit of a sneak and sneak peek into that. So, tell us a little bit more.
1: My name is Michael Dushan Satterfield. I have been dubbed through the ages "Chocolate Thunder." That <laughs> is. A name that has taken a life of its own, which was given to me as a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, mm. just because of the chocolate <laughs> covering for the Lord that I am, and the thunder of the word that He presents through my mm. life. And it started just as a fun joke in a airbrush Superman outfit, mm. and now God has utilized that to tap into people's comfort zone and give them a talking point, and then the word illuminates. I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. That's where I was reared. That's where I was saved Yeah. at the age of 10. I was a part of church as a drug baby, meaning I was drugged to church every Sunday mm-hmm. <laughs> by my mom, the spiritual influence of the family. Mm. My dad, not so much. And that is an interesting tidbit to know as well. So having been forced to go to church at the age of 10, They would sit a chair in front of our congregation, which was closed communion. So only the people as members of St. Philip's Missionary Baptist Church Mm -hmm. would be able to participate with the shot glass of grape juice and stale crackers that they would put on the tray. Uh And one Sunday I was hungry. So I saw the tray start at the front of the church and I sat where all good youth sat at the back of the church.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I made a march to that chair to get me some of them crackers and a couple of those shot glasses of grape juice. <laughs> and God met me in the chairs, Stephanie, what? and said, you thought you were grape juice and crackers? I brought you for grace in Christ. Mm. And at age 10, I gave my life to the Lord, no longer on the outside looking in, but now I became a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Each day since then has been sweeter than the day before. And that's not just spiritualizing, that's the truth about my my pilgrimage with the Lord. Yeah. So San Antonio is where I was saved. And that's where my family still abides. My mom, my older sister, my father, and most of my cousin base. I have an older brother who has since transitioned to Atlanta, Georgia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm the youngest of three and they're seven and eight years older than myself. Mm. And as the baby of the family, it's just a joy to see that I've led both my sister and brother to the Lord and my wow. father yeah
0: praise God awesome.
1: amen
0: yeah and uh so tell me about your family your um immediate family you you've got a wife, two beautiful children tell me a little yes. bit about that
1: now Having been saved in San Antonio and forced to go to church,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I figured even in salvation, I would leave town and head to the University of Texas at Austin, hook 'em horns, yeah. And never go <laughs> back to church. Wow. And I would have a revolving door with every woman from every nationality coming through that door. Mm. So I was a player, player from the
2: Himalayas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: God met me at UT and I grew more there than in all of my adolescent years in Christ. Wow. And he used Fortran differential equations and he used also every (laughs) math encounter I had. I was a major in electrical engineering
2: Mm.
1: and God used those classes to bring me to my knees. It was there my freshman year that I met Rhonda K. Davis Mm -hmm. who looked across the yard and said, God sent me to her. Now, I didn't hear him say that. And she was an upperclassman. And so I was arrogant and prideful enough to think that I could pull an upperclassman. (laughs) 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 And I met with God to see that that would be the woman of my dreams. I tried to run from it because I was also experiencing my call to preach my freshman year. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he delivered me from engineering and I shifted Went to Houston Baptist University for Christianity and Communications. Mm. It so happens that Rhonda K. Davis was from Houston, Texas.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Well, she graduated, came home, and was still in high pursuit of Chocolate Thunder. <laughs> <Someone or somebody. laughs> and I finally slowed down long enough for her to catch me. I proposed to that woman from a pulpit, y'all. Did you? Everybody- Yes, I did. I stood and said, With the woman of my dreams, please stand. Three women stood. My mom, my <laughs> sister, my grandma, no, not young. And she happened to be at that worship experience, Rhonda K, and agreed to be my wife. So thirty years later, we have been married and I tell her you're welcome every day, every chance I get. <laughs>
0: that's a that's a bold <laughs> stunt, man. Doing it from the pulpit? Oh, man. That could go so wrong.
1: (laughs) I'm telling you, when those other three stood, I had to sit every (laughs) one of my family members down. Yes. Yeah. But we, as a part of that union, have birthed Caitlin Michaela Satterfield, 24 now, Mm. and Justice McKenzie Satterfield, 22 years of age. So, Stephanie, you and Phil are getting old.
0: Yeah. We are real old. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when they were quite small. So, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. man, exactly. that's both crazy. of them. Love the Lord. Mm. My daughter baptized my son in a tub because she saw that's what daddy did in ministry. <laughs> and fortunately I walked in as he was bubbling. Oh, <laughs> <under gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't reprimand her because, I mean, she was trying to get him.
2: Fire saved. for
1: the Lord. And, but yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. That's amazing.
0: That's awesome. So um, what do you do now as far as um, ministry? What's, what's God, how are you doing now?
1: When I was called in 1988 from the University of Texas at Austin, I then immediately surrendered all to ministry, having already given my heart at age 10 to Christ completely. I gave him my career completely. Mm -hmm. Had aspirations to play professional tennis, had aspirations, as I mentioned, to be this electrical engineer and make money, 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 more money. Mm -hmm. And God made me a broke preacher instead. And I followed him to Houston's, Houston Baptist University, and then went on to Southwestern Theological Seminary for my Masters of Divinity having received an undergrad in Christianity and Communications. And then I pushed on where I lost my Afro during the doctoral studies mm-hmm. through Southwestern as well.
2: Wow.
1: Once I received that, I was able to cross paths with Westbury Baptist Church, Robert Campbell, mm. who taught Ephesians as a seminary course in the doctoral program. Okay. And in that class, I was the only student who was not pastoring somewhere. Hmm. So I was in the doctor's program as an assistant minister in children's ministry in Clear Lake, Texas. Mm -hmm. And the pastor of that church had a fall in ministry. So I was in transition, leaving the guilt by association that you automatically would get serving along someone who had a fall. Mm. And Robert Campbell went around the class, asked each student, what do you do? Where are you? And came to me and I said, well, I'm in no man's land. I'm transitioning from a church. The next day, he slid an application in front of me for Westbury Baptist Church. Wow. And so I'd never heard of Westbury, didn't know the makeup of Westbury, filled out the application, not realizing I lived around the corner from Westbury (laughs) on the southwest side of Houston. Yeah. Then I showed up and realized Westbury was a predominantly white fellowship and they didn't even have any black janitorial staff. Yeah. <laughs> so when you it, say it
0: predominantly, was, you mean for real. Um, predominantly. Yeah.
1: It's no black follicles in yeah. the hairline <laughs> of
0: people
1: who were yeah. part of that at the time.
0: <laughs> right. Yep. How did that feel when you, when you saw that? What was your first thought?
1: I played tennis. So okay. I was able to identify cross-culturally and still maintain who I was ethnically as mm-hmm. an African-American individual. So I wouldn't phase, and I'm so zealous and so bold for God that I'm listening to his voice and knew that that was an opportunity to be plugged in somewhere that was more healthy than where I was. Okay. So I had no second thoughts and didn't know what the end would be. And at the time, it was a position for a singles ministry intern. It wasn't okay. even a full-time position.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Filled out the application, and Pastor Campbell didn't know what the search team would do, but they unanimously said, come on, which made him bring me into the office and sit me down and say, okay, uh, didn't know they were going to vote unanimously, and I need to tell you that I have— Klansmen members on both sides of my family.
2: Oh my gosh!
1: And my mama's not gonna like you. This is Robert Campbell, Doctor Campbell, sharing with me that you come here because they said come. Now we got to really talk because yeah. there'll be some people that aren't ready for this. And I said, I have one question, Doctor Campbell. He said, What is that? Do you have a robe? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And he turned nine shades of red. No, 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 no. Okay, well, as long as you're not in the clan, then we can do this thing and we'll handle who has difficulty and break cycles and paint a picture of heaven. So God had already impregnated me with this vision of cross-cultural ministry and with the heartbeat to be a trailblazer Mm -hmm. and to knock down doors and to be genuinely myself in the process so we weren't trying to fall into some kind of image
2: yeah.
1: or to uh, reduce who I was as a person just to fit into another context.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we said, let's do this. And the rest became history as God shifted the heartbeat of a Westbury, which was in a melting pot, Southwest Houston,
2: right,
1: where everyone was driving in and commuting to church instead of representing a true picture of what the community looked like in the area. And Mm -hmm. God started to bring a fresh dynamic that painted a picture of glory right there in that neck of the woods.
0: Yeah. Well, I can, I can only imagine what it's like to come into, I mean, I'm sure that they, they loved you. I mean, people, God has given you this kind of personality. That's a winning kind of personality. You can, you can walk into a room and, Make friends with every person there, Um, and that's that's a gifting from the Lord. But I'm sure there were some really difficult things along the way. Being in that kind of position, did you did you encounter folks? I mean, was everybody super excited to have Chocolate Thunder there, or were they were they? uh... It was
1: unheard of to have hundred percent buy in Mm -hmm. from the leadership. And they were in search of a youth minister as I'm doing this singles ministry. And I wasn't looking to be a part of full-time staff. I was just getting out of Dodge from a dark environment and season of sinfulness within church fellowship and leadership. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of being called to do that intern, they then thought, why are we looking for somebody around the world? when we could ask Mike Satterfield to apply full-time for this youth ministry here. Yeah. So, Stephanie, I thought I was graduating from children, which I was doing in Clear Lake, (laughs) now singles, and headed to Adult World Mm -hmm. and got promoted back to youth ministry Yeah. there at Westbury. Again, a unanimous decision to come on board from the search team looking for a youth ministry. And God did a work where I had no pushback. I never felt a prejudice vibe in the midst. It broke the stereotypes of what black men in ministry may bring to the table or look like because I had this academic prowess behind me that equally matched what they at Westbury were accustomed to with a pastor who had his doctorate and was also an academic professor. So I'm sure to to Bob Campbell's credit, he fought in areas I was never privy to.
0: Yeah.
1: And pushed back some of the darkness because he was also ready to see some change and was more of a liberal heart than a staunch conservative, which became political fight in the convention world, yeah. unbeknownst to me. Yeah. So I'm sure he buffered some of that stuff. But my personality was such that his mom said I was her favorite preacher.
0: Oh man, that's crazy! The very one he
1: said yeah. you're gonna have problems because both his grandparents were chaplains in the Klan. Mm-hmm. His grand on both sides of the how Cha- do you do?
0: Chaplains <laughs> in the Klan. <laughs>
1: <We should've laughs> I mean, won, I'm i just, you,
0: just <laughs> <laughs> just sounds
1: like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know his mom would ask, when is the black one gonna preach? Mm which is not offensive to me that's just the language of her nation you know her culture her era yeah and she began to just love what god had put together
0: wow that's that's incredible um yeah youth ministry is a weird a weird time i mean phil served in youth ministry for many years and um It's great, and I'm so excited that you had so much supportive, so many supportive parents because that can make or break so much of what you're trying to do. Um, I know that, you know, I said at the beginning that I I wouldn't be married to Phil if it were not for your influence. Um, It was during your time serving as the youth minister that Phil was kind of floundering spiritually, yeah, and he didn't know what to do and um believe you you kind of were instrumental in him pursuing some music stuff right isn't that
1: Yes well, Yeah, I met Phil in young life yeah which had very secular very carnal christian leanings and yeah. he was strumming the guitar then yeah. with a basketball in hand and mm-hmm. knee braces <laughs> so boy I had bad knees from way back when
0: Yeah But love basketball.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a couple of crossovers woke him up to be more focused on Jesus and the Bible instead of the basketball. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he was doing music with Young Life and then saw that there was a shallow pursuit in that place of ministry. And it wasn't forced on him. It was just introduction to hear his truth, feel. And he was so hungry because of the family dynamics he had himself. and Having a sister who was heavily involved in a Trinity broadcast,
2: mm-hmm.
1: kind of a world of behind the scenes, that was as dark as where I came from, yeah. minister. And he just wanted to see revolution in church life that was not bound by this appearance of godliness, mm-hmm. but not according to knowledge. And his hunger for real truth set feel free to push. Not to them, emphasis on them, but a real relationship with the Redeemer. And I've watched him and so many others in that youth ministry grow to be valiant pastors and leaders themselves. And to not see color. I mean, yes, you can tell someone of another ethnicity, but to truly look at hearts of men and want for the very best to come to pass on their behalf. So it was a huge, fruitful season. I think I was six years, seven years at Westbury. Mm -hmm. And then that seventh year, God launched me to take the vision that was cultivated there to another realm. Yeah. In the city. Mm -hmm.
0: So um, God has brought you to a lot of different ministry, ministerial places. How now you are serving as um, a traveling evangelist sound <laughs> as a traveling evangelist and you also are on staff at a church and I'm just curious how you started to feel this call to do with the traveling evangelism.
1: When I left Westbury in 2002, I was called to the senior pastorate in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. So imagine breaking down walls. (laughs) You just keep
0: going into these uh, lion's dens, huh? (laughs) Yeah, The
1: heart of the civil rights movement in Birmingham, on the south side of Mm. Birmingham, and close to the Selma March across Mm. the Fettus Bridge. And to see God take me to the Mecca of the shoulders I stood upon in a Martin Luther King Jr.'s stead, It was there that I was the senior pastor of the fastest growing Anglo ministry in all of Birmingham.
2: Wow.
1: It was a church start that launched from Brook Hills where David Platt, Mm -hmm. who uh, writes Radical, was then the pastor. And prior to him, Rick Owsley, who was one of the first to bring contemporary style preaching in blue jeans and tennis shoes Mm -hmm. to that. South. And so uh, they asked me to come when they had many powerhouses of voices that would speak who could have been the pastor of that church. And it was because the vision was to bring a diverse community of believers committed to developing passionate followers of Christ to impact the world. Mm. And God used what was started in the branch at Westbury, which is an acronym for the youth ministry today, still being real about needing Christ's help. To the church at Shelby Crossings. We were on the south side of Birmingham, a senior pastor, African American, the first of its kind in that area. So, history was being made out of the womb Mm -hmm. to that particular locale and ministry. Mm -hmm. So, there I'm teaching, I'm preaching, collapse the walls of the church. Let's be the church. No one individual is the axis of the universe that the church revolves around. So, I'm doing true discipleship to raise up people who could take the baton from me.
2: Yeah.
1: And as I'm teaching, we go back to, of all books of the Bible, Ephesians, mm-hmm. which was the class I took to get to Westbury. Yeah. And now we're going a an entire year through the book of Ephesians. Wow. Unheard of. How do you, where do yeah. you get, how can you, a year? <laughs> one solid year.
2: Yeah.
1: Not knowing it was going to be a case study for us when we got to that sixth chapter and warfare ensued. Mm. The the worship pastor then under me had an affair and that launched my call to move beyond the walls. But I thought I was teaching the people to do it. And God said, no, model it. Mm. Stop taking a paycheck. Show them what it looks like to have true faith. You're still the pastor. but Give back your paycheck and go there for it, which was another radical, unheard of move. Mm. And my wife was fully on board. So I started modeling it, and the more I went as a senior pastor, the more of a distraction it became, because that young church, fastest growing in Birmingham and in Alabama, actually, Uh needed one who was more present. So I raised up someone under me and then began to go. But as the first senior pastor of the church, and that was my only senior pastorate, there were people who still saw me as the one to go to. Mm. So I became a distraction in my own church. Okay. And God used that to push me out the nest. Mm. So the church at Shelby Crossings is still thriving and going forward, praise Jesus. Mm-hmm. And God called me back to Texas. I get a call from the church I'm serving now. And they ask, can you come and bring that stuff y'all doing over there in Alabama?
0: Yeah.
1: Another lily white church. hmm And a church of at the time, maybe 2,500 people.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Fielder is now some 5,000 with three campuses. And so I came with the understanding I was already traveling to just do staff development and to preach 12 times a year as a teaching pastor and signed up to do that. And God brought fresh wind, fresh fire into what is known as Fielder Church now. It was Fielder Road Baptist Church when I arrived eight years ago. I've been there eight years.
0: Wow. I didn't realize that. Man. So
1: it is the accountability and anchor. And so it is the home base for what is Field of Grace Ministries, my evangelistic arm of ministry.
0: Mm. What's it like being somebody who... I mean, the bulk, I mean, that's 12 weeks out of 52 weeks of the year that you're at home in your home church, but so much of the rest of the, I mean, I'm sure you're there more than that, but so much of the rest of the time you are worshiping in all these different churches and you are, um, having to kind of be on all the time, you know, like you gotta, you gotta always be, um, socializing and getting to know new people and, you know, I know that you have the personality that, that, like we talked about, that you God has gifted you with to be able to meet these new folks. But what are some of the struggles of being in your particular position?
1: My personality is a struggle twofold. Yeah. And in one respect, because I'm so self-motivated and I am self-infused, the Holy Spirit has me going. Nonstop, the home base thinks that I'm good. He's okay. Mike Satterfield, his family's fine.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He's on the front lines. So accountability is very weak. Yeah. And I try and teach and admonish if it were not me, if it was somebody totally different, you have to do better. I don't need to be on another staff Mm
2: -hmm.
1: as a corporate identity and as a business. I need to be church family yeah, and checked on because mm-hmm. I could be in the same hotel we're podcasting from with a monkey and a midget.
0: Yeah.
1: And I know that's not politically correct to say, Ooh. sorry, <laughs> folks who are offended, but that's just real. Yeah. And you need to have someone that's saying, hey, how are you? How is your home?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How is ministry? What are the temptations? Yeah, How are you safeguarding? And make that follow up to this day, eight years in, the church still sees me as self sufficient. Yeah. So they probably don't even know where I am in Corsicana today. Yeah. Though so they have my schedule and they have access to
0: yeah. my they know, travel. They know you're unavailable for church, but they don't know that, yeah, what's going on in your heart. And the that, beauty of yeah. the
1: picture is that there should be 25 people here with me from my home church. Mm hmm. Supporting because I go into hostile places and I go into some real prejudice locales yeah. and it takes the family. Now, my mom is praying on her knees. And of course, my wife is, hey, you going where? You know, yeah. Uh, home base has not yet perfected this picture of what it looks like. And a part of that is this. The original pastor who invited me has retired. And he, too, has discipled another to stand and take baton and to finish the story of Fielder Church. And in Mm -hmm. that time, Fielder Road became Fielder and a younger pastor who understandably is trying to make his own presence and president set uh, has focused in on that assignment. And I'm an afterthought. Yeah. Not to indict the home church, but that's just the reality of this dynamic
0: no, i I think that you can you can love your church and love all that they're doing and still see, hey, you don't you don't see what's going on in my life, and you don't see all these temptations. And I know that i I seem good, but there I mean, there's a common phrase that i i may I may mess up, but basically in like mental health, like check on the strong people. and there's That's this right. I, yeah, they just people that seem like they have it together and seem like they're good. You, you still got to check on them. You know, it's not the person who's weeping in the corner who's going to be necessarily the only one dealing with stuff. Yeah, they probably are, and they need attention, but we all need to be the body, and we need to look out for one another just because this arm seems like it's good, this hand yeah. seems like it's good. Like, let's check on it every now and then, and, you know, it if, doesn't if take we're really
1: long. Yeah. If we're really family, we must. Yes. So the squeaky wheel, unfortunately, is the only one that gets attention, And those who are vibrant or seem to be on, as you mentioned, at all times. Oh, you know, hey, and especially where my family, my wife and kids are concerned, they're not checked on because they're Mike's wife and kids. Yeah. And they have received the biggest brunt of the negative side of a staffer who travels. A road warrior is what we call them.
0: A road warrior.
1: So, my family are not plugged in or connected to Fielder because they're my family.
0: Tell me a little bit more about that. that. Yeah.
1: That means because my kids have a father who does youth ministry and also is a leader to leader. Mm -hmm. So surely they've got access to all the council. And I'm also a representative of the state convention. Mm -hmm. So we've got all these resources that can help Families be strong and strengthened, But my kids also need an identity with the home church of their own. My wife needs to be able to go to a fielder when I'm not there and feel as much at home and not have to have that absentee husband feel. Where's your husband this week?
0: Oh, well, uh, <laughs> you know, and
1: I always have to explain yeah. my absence. Of course. But when you checked on and people know, then they're already on Hey, we're praying for you. You need a pound cake this week. Mm
0: -hmm. You need a visit. Yeah.
1: We got people watching and we know that your husband can't even post where he is because that leaves the home vulnerable. Okay. If I put all my travels in public eye, then every predator knows, oh, he's not there this week. Yeah. So it's blessing and curse, mm-hmm. and we have to stay on guard because it's warfare when you're doing a work for the enemy, for the Lord that is the enemy is not, and he would sift you as wheat and try to ruin your witness. Yeah. So. I,
0: yeah, I think that's, and I'm sure, like I, we, were, my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. There's, you know, with doing podcasting, we're we're not, um, you know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like you're a lot more visible than we are, and you're probably meeting a whole lot more folks than than we would encounter in this sort of setting. But we were talking the other day about folks that we don't know, that are Facebook friends or that see us. Uh-huh. All, they're like he was telling us, telling me about some some people that when we were leading this Bible study on Wednesday nights on YouTube, that they see us like family, and I'm like, I don't know them. you know, (laughs) You know, and that's that's really sweet that they see us that way. But, like, there's this weird side of being in a, even if it's a small public way, but with you, it's a very big one. You're going to all these churches, and you're traveling, and I'm sure you get, like, friend requests afterward um, from folks that are there. So there's these strangers that know all of your business that you're putting on the Internet. So... Even another layer of like, I got to protect my family. And um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's got to be hard for for your wife, for Rhonda. Well, it's strange
1: because strangers know my schedule better than I do. Yeah, I mean, they can, that's all they're doing is watching Mm. and I'm moving on to the next thing. And on the home base, when I do go back home to preach, it's a reintroduction to the whole body. And it's yeah. funny because I'll sit next to someone and they'll chat and do you go here? <laughs> so <laughs> they don't know I'm on to preach. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I do attend. And At then least 12 next weeks a stage, year. <laughs> yeah. Next on the stage is Pastor Mike Satterfield. Yeah. So the same person I was sitting with who didn't even know I was on staff mm. would watch me walk from that seat to the stage. And then it was like, oh, my goodness, I was sitting next to the dude that I thought was a visitor and he's on stage preaching to us. Man. And other times I'd step off the stage at another one of our sites Mm -hmm. and someone would meet and greet me. Oh, I really enjoyed this. I would come to your church any time of the year. (laughs) Just let me know when you're preaching at your church. Yeah. Where do you attend and where do you pastor? Uh, Right here. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> this is
0: it. Oh, you're there. Yeah.
1: Every time I stand.
0: So when you were yeah. talking earlier about some of the struggles of being a road warrior, as you were calling it. And um do you do you have a network of like people that maybe are your close folks that that know where you're going that you check in with regularly? How do you protect yourself or how do you protect what God is doing in you? Because I mean you are this very visible person who is representing the gospel. And like you talked about some missteps of people in the past that you were surrounding yourself with or that you were in ministry with and how easy that can happen. How do you help safeguard what God is doing?
1: Yeah, I'm very real and transparent everywhere I go. And when my wife is absent, she is the first one acknowledged from any stage, platform, setting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, I just want to honor my bride and mm-hmm. my wife and call her by name. Yeah. That announces to the crowd, this guy is not on the market. Yeah. <laughs> it so, it's notice to the enemy that I'm cognizant mm-hmm. that I am definitely not on the market. Yeah. And so, it is a healthy announcement. And that, though, becomes a teaching point to the leaders I'm surrounded by. And across the nation, there's a preaching network of other evangelists Mm -hmm. that have just gravitated. One, they want some of the same invitations. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) Two, they're wanting to know whatever you're smoking, give me some because (laughs) we're we're in a pandemic and you're still
0: still busy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have not stopped. And I have to be careful to guard how I even describe my experience. Because it's not me, it's the favor of God. Mm. And had it not been for God, I'd be at home and sitting down myself. Yeah. But he has given these moments, this mm. platform from yeah. podcasts to Zoom mis- messages and ministry to that which is virtual for camps that have had to cancel. I've done sermons in the box and mm. those sermons by video are still sent to those who would have otherwise collectively gathered together. Yeah. So the guard is to make sure my family is aware. I have prayer partners who pray. Mm-hmm. I wish my home church would be present and on this journey. I'm still playing tennis, believe it or not. I started back
2: Good for and you. I've had
1: more people from the secular tennis world come hear me preach than anyone in the eight years that I have been serving a church. Come hear me preach. Wow. To God's glory, I'm ministering to lost people in a sport that are coming to say, whatever you do, what in the world? You don't curse out here with us and we're (laughs) watching you and your temperament and then you can play. And what? Hey, hear me come. So I'm ministering to atheists and they keep calling me back to the court acknowledging hey i'm an atheist okay cool yeah but wait aren't you a pastor <laughs> yeah i'm a pastor yeah you're not gonna cram anything down my throat this tennis ball <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and they are showing up and giving their lives to the lord because the witness is so genuine mm. and true Yeah. so safeguard that my family know my prayer partners know the pendulum swing is that others who are leaders in the same field are still looking to, to me for leadership. Yeah. So I'm not getting from them encouragement and affirmation mm. or spurring yeah. to keep fighting. i got two buddies that are sought after heavily around the globe. We call ourselves the United Nations.
2: Mm-hmm. One
1: of them is an Indian from Native America, <laughs> and yeah. the other, yeah, straight Hispanic from the barrio, mm-hmm. and then you got this dude from the hood, which is me. Yeah. And so the United Nations meets, and we talk about the real, raw. How are you? How's your marriage? Asking the tough questions. What? Hey, you being affirmed and ego stroked? How are you dealing with that?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, whether it's Miss America or someone who needs to be needed. Yeah, And that can be a trap in and of itself. Uh If you're getting these applause and someone just bragging on you're the next best thing since Blue Bell Ice Cream, (laughs) that can be intoxicating and addictive. So all of those things are guarded against. Mm. Yeah.
0: So I would love it if you would share one of your stories, uh, maybe about a difficult um, ministerial experience on the road. Um, something in that's happened here in the U.S. that maybe was a challenge, and how you saw God's faithfulness in that.
1: Yeah, um, I've had many, and what stands out is going to a place in Alabama, and they were boycotting. Wow! The fact that I was coming
0: because you're a, because you're African American.
1: Oh, okay. Exactly. Exactly. And and I don't even know what's politically correct. African American, black. I'm all of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) because of your skin color.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor took a risk and invited me, Mm. and I brought a young team, a worship band, and Mm -hmm. so they were not accustomed, strict, staunch, conservative church, and here comes these skinny jean wearing worship guys. Yeah. All of them Anglo. So watch this we arrive and they're picketing I mean outside oh the gosh. church Yeah like y'all who invited this man here mm. And I'm bold I'm walking in and my group had never seen this in life young kids in worship having read about unrest and having heard of racial tension but having never witnessed it Wow. So they walk into this warfare and are blown away. We are in the cafetorium and they are serving. One man approaches me and brings a bottle of hot sauce and says, I know you want this on your chicken. And so I said, man, let me oh say gosh. something to you. Uh, I don't eat hot sauce and I will eat your chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and their eyes were appalled. Yeah, they couldn't believe. J- Jaws dropped to the ground. But Stephanie, they didn't say a word mm. until we got in the car. Yeah, I cannot believe that was just blatant racism. Yeah, how dare they? I said, "Fellas, let me ask you one question. Why didn't you say something to him at the same table we were sitting in?" Mm. So this group of musicians understood if something went down, they could still gravitate to the side. Yeah. That was the majority.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, some complicity was, going on there.
1: Oh, listen. Yeah. It became real how easy it is to look beyond, to turn a deaf ear and eye and to see the problem continue. Mm. Cuz it would have been for them the biggest bold step to say, "Wait a minute." you have just announced racism at this table in front of us and we're not going to stand for it. But they were in a strange location yeah. in another state and they had to put up a shut up. And so that was a bigger teaching lesson in the vehicle. Yeah. To know this is real what I face, what I go through in real hostile locales. At the end of the event, watch this, the mayor showed up. Wow. The clouds kept growing. Because it was unheard of, media showed up.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And they gave me a key to the city. What? So the oldest man in the church came and apologized and oh said, gosh. I did not want you to be here. I did not want to listen to another ethnicity, a black man, teach me anything. And you have shown me integrity, you have shown me love. And he just wept. And he mm. said, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I held him and it was uncomfortable. You know? yeah. <laughs> he was every bit of 89. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey man, this is why we do the gospel. Yeah. To break strongholds and to show forth that Jesus loves across denomination,
2: mm-hmm. across
1: racial walls, and across economic boundaries. Yeah. You are loved. Mm. And he'd never heard a black man preach nor held a black man. Wow. So it was amazing testimony to what God can do in the States. So it's still going on. Yeah. It's real. As much as people would say it doesn't happen and there's no privilege and we're all able to get along. And
0: Yeah. now I have you. So have you experienced maybe that the opposite of that where you were just surprised by somebody maybe standing up for you or I mean, you're in these environments where they're majority Anglo and I am a. I'm a people pleaser. I know that like the, the idea of confrontation scares me. And I know in that moment, I don't think I could sit back and let that happen, but I can, I can only imagine when there's picketing going on outside, when there's fear for your life, you're like, okay, I don't know. It's a little different situation, but have you
2: experienced,
0: (laughs) have you experienced folks like standing up for you?
1: Not publicly. Okay. Uh, Not visibly, but these pastors who invite me taken a huge risk. Yeah. And many of them have lost their, their ministries.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: After I've left the city. Yeah. I've had more reports of that than I have of them just confronted it right there on the spot. Okay. So. So they're putting it
0: out there. yeah, Yeah. By even bringing you.
1: That pastor told me years later that that was the straw that broke the camel's back as much as the mayor came and the key to the city was given. Yeah. There was a tendency that was out to see him. And I know, uh, pastor Campbell at Westbury likewise had to endure a lot of what are you doing? What are you thinking? What, yeah. what, what is this? Until it backfired in this way at Westbury, We went to several services, two services, morning and uh, two in the morning, and then the evening worship. Mm -hmm. There was a group of powerful leaders that asked if I could do the early morning service. Wow. I didn't realize that, too, was a slap in the face of Pastor Campbell.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: Because he was falling out of favor. And what they thought was a mistake in inviting me became something that was craved because I brought this energy yeah. that was foreign from Campbell's style, though he's a prolific great presenter and communicator of yeah. uh, sermon. Uh so Some he people- and I yes. and make sure there was no tension between us. Uh, I was not pursuing his job. Yeah. Although it could be used as contention. Mm-hmm. So the enemy is very deceptive and crafty and uses good things in order to prostitute it and turn it on its head. So blatant confrontational stands, I've not seen, but I know there have been behind the scenes fight yeah. and confrontation that has uh, not always won. Here's the, the worst thing about What I've witnessed is the pastor I, or the church I pastored in Birmingham has now gone back to an all Anglo fellowship. Yeah. When I transitioned away, the next leader was groomed and discipled, but he's an Anglo man and has faulted to what was comfortable. Mm -hmm. And every cross-cultural dynamic has now been forfeited in the name of maintaining what had been the growth of the church. So if anyone left, because I left, mm-hmm. that was no leave the 99 and go after them. Mm. Okay. And that's the saddest mar on what I've been a part of ministerially. Yeah. Cause they went back to fishing for fish
2: mm-hmm.
1: and not men. It's, it's a repeat of scripture. Yeah.
0: It's, it's really hard um, you know Phil and I talk a lot of times about the way churches are run and um, how a lot of times especially now and I'm sure it's been this way for a long time but it seems like it's moving more and more this way that churches they're they're run like businesses and um, I think that it it's really easy to um, to yeah to look at it from numbers standpoint but That's not how he looked at it, and so we have to be really careful. And it it takes a conscious effort to fight against that temptation. And I can imagine. I mean, it's like when when somebody leaves a church. A lot of times, the folks behind are scrambling. We don't want things to fall apart, and um,
2: that's
0: you know that that's a really hard thing about a lot of ministry. Is like you can't stay there forever when God has called you elsewhere, but. You know, hopefully the impact that you left on so many lives are causing them to rethink the way that they do ministry.
1: And well, the youth ministry at Westbury is a picture of what you just said. Yeah. Phenomenal seed sown and watered because there has been uh, from Brandon Mm way up and his following me to then Stephen. Another African American youth minister coming to Westbury. Yeah. The door was swung wide open, and the leaders who followed me in youth ministry were ready. Yeah. So Westbury was a prototype of how a cross-cultural dynamic. Wilcrest was a similar prototype
2: mm-hmm.
1: with James Darby as youth minister there. Yeah. And they've had a similar experience in flipping back to what was comfortable after we left those positions. Yeah. Uh, not so at Westbury. that has been this ongoing thrust and cross-cultural dynamic to the degree yes. that there's likewise been marriages that are cross-cultural, mm. which was never even... Th- people started falling in love with believers yeah. and not just someone of their same ethnicity. Mm. And several Houston Baptist University attendees came out of that batch too. (laughs) (laughs) because they saw in their leader, which is where I went after leaving UT Austin, that this is a place that's worth investigating to see if God would utilize our lives there. Mm -hmm. So some great things have come to pass. And my travel side has enabled me to witness on different fronts what does well and what does not work in church life and bring it back to my home church. The local church, which is where God mobilizes the gospel, yeah, and he set it for the local church to be his location of true blessing. So this evangelistic arm is only complementary to the fact of the local church being what she should be.
2: Mm.
0: Well, um, I wonder if you have some advice that maybe you would share with folks who... um, maybe dealing with some burnout in ministry. As you've been ministering for how long you've been? Would you say you've been in ministry?
1: 88, 1988 is wow. when I went to the call. Mm-hmm.
0: So quite a significant season thus far in ministry. Yes. What What advice do you have for somebody who may be dealing with some burnout with that?
1: That's interesting. I know you guys are very familiar with church leadership, yeah. staff, and having family
2: Mm -hmm. in those
1: leader environments, blood kin Mm -hmm. and what that may look like when there's transition. For me, it is trusting in God with everything you have Mm -hmm. and leaning not to your own understanding. So Proverbs comes to bear when we talk about burnout. The, the, The times of burnout are those when we're relying on our own strength, We've created this picture of how it ought to look based on a seminary textbook class and there's no shoe leather activity. And I just read a story where an 82 year old woman breaks her collarbone, is hospitalized and in the recovery process, loses her mind Mm -hmm. in the fetal position during the day. At night, there are terror episodes yanking the cords out. Mm. An archbishop comes in order to assess and then calls for a priest to do an exorcism. Wow. And in the midst of the priest arriving and seeing who it was, he said, no, I, I will not do this. But the archbishop, having seniority, says to the priest, oh, yeah, you will. Mm-hmm. And he performs this exorcism. And afterwards, this 82-year-old woman is calmed and becomes civil again.
2: Wow.
1: Well, The reason why the priest was reluctant is because he recognized the woman to be the most toted and applauded female in all of India Mm. and likewise a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And also one CNN had said is the woman of the century. And that woman was Mother Teresa. Wow. So she was considered demon possessed. And how can a Mother Teresa of Calcutta be considered demon possessed? It's because when you're doing a work for the Lord, the enemy comes to fight. Yeah. God allows a thing in order to remind us. We have a devil to be at war with. Mm. If you're not doing a work for the Lord, there's no chance of burnout. Yeah. That You're in it for me, myself and uh, yeah. I. Mm-hmm. So. Mother Teresa mm-hmm. cries out, why have you forsaken me? And before we point a finger at her, Jesus did the same thing from the cross. Yeah. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. So he felt all alone because he was carrying this burden of sin. Mm. Easy to become depressed, anxious, to become burned out until you realize the bitter cup can be passed. But nevertheless, here it is. Not my will. It's always been God's will that must be done. Yeah. And Stephanie, when I'm doing the work, even here in Corsicana for the Lord, I'm more energized than I'm burdened and depleted. Yeah. But when I'm going to places in his name for me and for the money or for the accolade and the connection and the fanfare and the red carpet rolled out, Mm -hmm. that's when I'm in the middle of my own pilgrimage. And God never told me to go to those locations. And I am exhausted and I'm tapped out. And the little paycheck was not what it was all cracked up to be. Mm. To lose my identity in him, pursuing some kind of accolade in the eyes of the church and the world. Yeah. So if that answers...
0: Yeah, no, I think that's it's it's really easy and you we, this has been alluded to a couple of times in our conversation but you know people that are like mean, you know people ministering this is they're just they're just people, right? I mean this is anybody is vulnerable to um attack and to oppression, but we need um we need the Lord every step of the way. We need each other, we need the body of Christ. We need people to to not look at us and think Oh, this is this is somebody who's got it together, and I'm not gonna right. I'm not gonna bother with them because they're good. Um, everybody, and the, and the more that you are doing for the kingdom, the more likely that you're going to experience um, these attacks. And we need the full armor of God, and we need it yep. all the time. And I you know I appreciate you you sharing ha- about that because I know that that is. That's so important and it's really easy so I'm sure in your position to be y- y- people always want to praise the person on the stage I mean <laughs> they they um their tend our tendency as humans is to to be human and to want something to worship we want to look for um this I and it can be the an idolatry of somebody who's even serving the Lord and that is. It's really, really dangerous. So I appreciate that's your- That's a
1: beautiful point, Stephanie. Yeah. That's a beautiful point because I don't take myself so seriously. Even yeah. the chocolate stuff, Yeah, <laughs> that's funny to me. And I'm cautious mm-hmm. because it can drown out God's business when you're catering to people yeah. wanting to be entertained.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm not an entertainer. I mean, I'm a throwed off crazy personality and I love to have fun, Mm -hmm. but I have to tame even my own personality because it can abound beyond what God is trying to get across. So if I leave an event and somebody says, that was so funny, I've lost Yeah. and I've missed my my whole assignment Mm. because it was not meant to be cartoonish or to be a caricature or to be entertainment for the crowd. Yeah. Did you hear the gospel? Now, if you yeah. tell me you heard Jesus loves me, this I know, then what was naturally funny, because I'm not trying to be a comedian or tell jokes, but even in our conversation, I mean, we're going to laugh. We're yeah. going to have a good time. Right. It's never a joke moment. But people gravitate to that to idolize what makes them feel comfortable mm. instead of convicted.
2: Yeah.
1: So I don't take myself serious. I'm not believing the press and applause because out of the same mouth that praises you comes a curse. Right. And I'm very aware that I'm going into the trenches to fight the good fight of faith. And those kinds of markers and awarenesses keep burnout from being a part of my equation. And I glorify God for that. He's been so good to me that I'm not somewhere strung out or looking for... um, addictive things to fill voids in my life because it's not reciprocated yeah this is not a glamorous road as many would i identify it being on stages that are large and huge not uh-huh. for me for many it is yeah. and they ooh, if i had the chance to preach for and some of the events have gotten into the trap of believing that they are the end-all be-all for right. example i was asked to preach a big event and I was already committed to a us for no more event that I mm. gave my word to. And I shared with the big event, hey, I'm already booked that date. And they said, cancel it. Because <laughs> we are. And they named who they are. Mm. And I said, uh, correction.
2: Yeah.
1: My word is my bond. My commitment is true. And that group of four were so blown away I showed up
2: because
1: mm. they knew I was being courted. Yeah by the big dog. And they just thought, well, he's not going to come to us because who would come to us? Mm. And God shows that that is my real thrust of ministry to go places that could never afford for someone to come. Yeah. And to be as on there as Uh I would in a crowd of 20,000.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate that about you. I do. I think that God has put um, a strong calling for evangelism on your heart, and' it's, an evangelist is not somebody who's you know seeking all the fame. They're just you know, there to bring the good news. They're just bringing the good news of God. and that may be to a group that's small, and that may be to a group that's large, but the the message is what you're excited about, not the crowd.
1: So. Yes, and I'm such a mutt that yeah. you know I'm a true pastor. And I'm, a, I'm not a pure evangelist because yeah. pure evangelists will shoot the crowd and leave them bleeding and good luck. Yeah. But I'm there trying to patch people up. You okay? And yeah. to get connected. So I'm not a wham, bam guy. Yeah. I won't preach and then you can't reach me because I've got this whole wall and crowd around. I'm still answering my own phone. Yeah. And responding to invitations personally instead of having some agency do it. And I'm not boasting in that, but that's the kind of pastoral touch that is who I am and not just what I do.
0: So if folks wanted to find out more about you or to reach you or anything, how would they do that?
1: It's very simple now. It's Mike Satterfield Ministries. Okay. So you type in Mike Satterfield, you type in Chocolate Thunder, it'll go to, well, it may go to Daryl Dawkins, who was the first noted Chocolate <laughs> Thunder. <that's laughs>
0: part the yeah. Name. Chocolate Thunder part two. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's it. That's it. Now we got a, a third coming up in my son. Oh, but, nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Mike Satterfield Ministries, Field of Grace Ministries, and now we got another branch, no pun intended to the Ministry of Westbury's branch youth, uh-huh. but it's three and one. Three and one. And what's Interesting is that our own Susan Pinnell, who was one of the parents of youth at Westbury, mm-hmm. has been my website designer oh, cool. of recent days. And I mean, grown by leaps and bounds ministerially, mm-hmm. just reconnecting and being a part of that ministry. She took that thing over and has rebranded and made it live in ways technically that I could not have fathomed. Mm. So applause to Humble Beginnings at Westbury. Yeah, Nothing has been wasted in that ministerial realm because it's all coming back. And you guys are out on front lines of your own mm-hmm. doing this kind of ministry through podcasts. Yeah. And it's not gone within Phil and his music and, and that being relaunched, his writing. Yeah. And and we've got others who are doing great ministry. Yeah. So I'm excited about the future for us.
0: And just to kind of wrap things up, Mike, that um, we've been talking a lot about the gospel and the good news of Jesus. So if somebody is listening and they don't know what in the world we're talking about, what would you tell them? What is this good news that you've been sharing about?
1: I want to really bless somebody because there's a message from an obscure text that has to be entertained and it's from Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. And how many sermons have you heard? From <laughs> <Habakkuk>? <laughs> it, not many. <laughs> it's, it's a crispy section of your Bible, a uh-huh. minor prophet, H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K, mm-hmm. Habakkuk. Hard to pronounce and spell. Mm-hmm. But in the third chapter, watch this, in the 17th through the 18th verse, the word of the Lord says, though the fig tree does not blossom and there's no fruit on the vines, and though the yield of the olive fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks cut off from the fold and there's no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet I will choose to rejoice in the Lord. Yet, I will choose to shout in exaltation in the Victorious God of my salvation. What's happening right there is the war. Mm. Chaldeans come in and they attack the people of God. And in war, they cut off the cattle. In war, they destroy the fields. Nothing right is going on. Sounds like a pandemic to me. Yeah. Sounds like a 2020 era. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a sucker punch none of us could count on, prepare for, nor police and stop and yet becomes the gospel word. I'm still gonna serve him. I'm gonna choose today who I serve. It could be man, but as for Mike Satterfield and his house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Mm. I choose that this is the day the Lord has made. I could be down in the mouth or I could live gospel and rejoice and be glad in him. There are more months left than money. There is more crisis than there is calm, but like a Mother Teresa, I can be found in my right mind when I understand that God allows a thing in order to grow me into conformity with his son. So whoever's listening and is going through a crisis, a struggle, and the struggle is real, you have a yet praise. You have a yet I can and will rejoice in spite of my circumstances. I have a Lord who steps into my fiery furnace and blows holy air conditioning.
2: <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> he steps into the crisis and he's Christ over COVID. Mm. So I serve the only God who won by losing. Yeah. He sent his very best to die. And he was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for your iniquity and the chastisement that brings us exhale in peace was upon him. And we thought he lost, and so did the enemy think he had him bound. But three days later, he rose with all power in heaven and earth in his hands. Mm. And for those who need a gospel truth, Ephesians teaches us that we have in the first chapter every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, which means it's locked in a locale that nobody can strip. Mm. He blesses us to be a blessing and nothing can separate us from that love. That's good news. Wait a minute. That's Tony the Tiger. Great news. (laughs) We have a risen Savior who got up to get up in us. Mm. The gospel is that he came, he died, he rose, and we have access to that same resurrection power. Who wouldn't want to have life abundant instead of life by the hair of their chin? Yeah, and the gospel is that he lived and loving, he died and buried, he saved and he rose, and one day he's coming back. And I want to be in that church of family folk and not businessmen. Yeah, who are ready when the saints go marching in with our king.
0: Amen. Well, thank you. So Jesus loves. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. And I just want to thank you for the ministry that you're doing and have done over the years and just the personally the difference that it has made in my life i mean my family is transformed by it and um we just uh, we love you we love you so much and i um, so glad that god has rescued you from darkness the dominion of darkness and has brought you into his kingdom and that you are helping to be a rescuer as well thank you thankful for that Wasn't it encouraging to hear Mike share about the struggles of his ministry? His story is an important reminder that we need to check in on our brothers and sisters, including those that seem to have it together. Mike Satterfield can be found at mikesatterfield.org, where you can check out his videos, his teaching schedule, and you can even contact him there. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews are so important so that people can find the podcast and it can be a blessing to them. While you're there, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find me at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com or on Instagram at faithfulpodcast. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.